they're infatuated and they don't see that because when you're infatuated, you think the person can't do any wrong. But infatuation only lasts about 12 to 18 months. Then you have a real relationship and that's when people can't wait to get out of there. You're a man of strong passion, a warrior of great courage, designed and created to conquer, to crush it in singleness and marriage, to master fatherhood, finance, and health. You were made to reign in life. Gentlemen, welcome to the Made to Reign podcast where we engage men where they are, we empower them with truth, and we encourage them on their walk. This is a movement for all men to take hold of their identities in Christ. And I love it when guys are hitting me up, telling me that they want to do that to a different level. And it's so humbling. Like I literally have been having people contact me through email or through DMs and just like sharing the stuff that they're going through, sharing things that are happening, sharing how things are impacting them that we're putting out there, our resources, videos and podcasts. And it's humbling, but it's also a reminder that we have to press forward past this frontline defense, right? We have been so stationary for so long on the front lines of masculinity, and it is now time to take charge, to move past behind enemy lines and to press in. Yes, there's going to be casualties. Yes, we will take fire, but we're going to take down the strongholds. We are going to build up defensive positions in critical areas of life, and we're going to conquer. That's what we're called to. That is the truth that Jesus has called us to. And this podcast is just another tool for men like you to be able to do that. And I remember one of the places where I really was not doing all too good. One of the places that I was not reigning in. And it was my marriage. Now I can say right now, like everything's going awesome. My kids are healthy. They're good. They're growing. My marriage is awesome, but it wasn't always that way. It was devastating to be in a new marriage and have so many problems to have the things that me and my wife are going through at that time. And I remember going through it with her and buying this marriage book that I thought would help because really I just needed something to fix my wife. She clearly was the problem, not me. I mean, that's, that's what I thought. And then I read this from the book, this description from the book. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy. (laughs) Okay, what? So I keep reading. Scores of books have been written that offer guidance for building the marriage of your dreams. Okay, I know that. And I chose this one. And it continues. Yet what if God's primary intent for your marriage isn't to make you happy? I'm still not understanding. So I kept reading. And what if your relationship isn't as much about you and your spouse as it is about you and God? What? No, it's exactly about me and my spouse. It's about the fact that she keeps doing that thing that I really don't like. And we just keep grinding and going after each other. And it's just brutal. And now she's pregnant again and she's about to have a baby. And we already have another one. And we are having a hard time staying connected. And I'm in school full time and I still have to do this. And I'm still trying to find my identity. And there's so much stuff going on. So what are you talking about? But I still listened to the audiobook, And I've actually listened to it twice now. And I can tell you, my friends, that my mind was blown and that my marriage has been changed because of it. And it all has to do because of the impact in a book written by our next guest. Our next guest is a best-selling author. He's an international speaker whose ministry brings people closer to Christ and closer to others. 
He has spoken at conferences, retreats, college campuses in over 49 different states and eight countries. He has over 150 articles published in major magazines such as Christianity Today, New Man, Discipleship Journal. His message has actually even been featured on national radio and television programs. He is well known for writing more than 15 books. And I caught up with him right after his book, Sacred Marriage, reached the million books sold list. Gentlemen, our next guest is Mr. Gary Thomas. Mr. Thomas, how you doing today? Doing great, Ray. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to have you on. Just like I told you before, I am a big fan and I actually came across your book in a very important season of my life. I was having my second child. And as I look back, this book was purchased three weeks after my daughter was born. And I think it, it says a lot about the struggles <laughs> that are, are put onto a marriage with, when a second child is added oh, into yeah, the picture. Yeah. And I, I was looking for help. I was looking for solutions. And, um, you know, I was really, again, happy to come across your book, but I was challenged because your book doesn't offer a one, two, three step to a happy marriage. It right, actually takes right. a totally different uh, approach. Yeah. Can you please um, just... Talk to us about your passion, your mission, um, and what gets you fired up. And, and then I, I want to definitely hear more about um, your book. Well, any parent listening knows adding a second child doesn't make it twice as difficult. It makes it three times as difficult. <laughs> they, they, they tag team. And so that's a tough time. So right. I, I have I've spent my life uh, that the tagline of my ministry is closer to Christ closer to others. The idea is that we draw closer to Christ and that helps bring us closer to others. And marriage has been a key focus of that, as you mentioned in sacred marriage. And there's really two reasons that I wrote sacred marriage in 2001. I felt like people weren't being completely honest about marriage in the Christian community. Okay. There are these books. It was almost like apply these five principles and your marriage is easy and fun or follow Jesus here or that. And I believe that even the best of marriages are difficult in their own way. Yeah. I think marriage is a glorious relationship. It's a wonderful relationship. If I had a hundred lives to live, I'd want to be married in every one, but I don't think there's such a thing as an easy marriage. Now mm. that that's been a little bit controversial. In fact, I've had one guy that we, they had us do a debate at a national conference and I, I knew it was coming up. So I, I had some fun. I was at a large conference a couple of weeks before. It was a thousand people, 500 couples. Sure. And I had them all stand up. And I said, I want you to stay standing if your marriage has proven to be easier than you thought it would be. Ray, five couples were left standing. All right. Now, <laughs> I'm an English major, but I can do that math. Okay. Five out of 500, that's 1%. Sure. It's actually less than that, though. Because another couple came up to me afterwards and said, we have a confession to make. And I said, what's that? He said, well, we're one of the couples who stood up, right? But we've only been married for ten days, <laughs> so it, it's probably less than one percent. And I and, believe that. And I just wanted to do a book, and I think it's kind of why Sacred Marriage took off. Just to admit, this is a good relationship, but it's not an easy relationship. You know what? The best things in life aren't easy, right? Running a marathon, starting a business, raising kids, as you mentioned, right. nothing will tax you like that. Those are glorious things, are wonderful things. At the end of our life, we'll be so glad we did them, but they're not always easy going through them. And so I wanted to prepare singles saying, look, you need to choose someone 
that's willing to fight the fight with you because it's not going to be easy. And for married people to say, don't freak out if your marriage is difficult. doesn't mean you made a bad choice. It doesn't mean you married the wrong person. It just means you're married. I, I think the Bible promises us marriage is going to be difficult in James 3, 2, when James says we all stumble in many ways. <laughs> Jesus is, you know, half brother telling us you're going to marry somebody because we all includes everybody who doesn't just occasionally stumble. They stumble in many ways. And so it was admitting the difficulty of marriage, but then recognizing that difficulty can set us up for something even better than comfort and fun. Sure. Now, now just to put this into the perspective of a young 20 year old man or a man in his twenties, would you have thought or imagined yourself writing a book like this from your early twenties? Have you kind of thought about it? No, not even, not even. I I was 22 when I got married. Okay. Okay. I, I, I was as selfish as they come. I had unbelievable idealistic notions about what marriage should be. I just absorbed from movies and music about it, making me ha- and, and all of this. Sure. And so the first 15 years of my marriage, I just say it, it was um, a shock at times. It was eye opening. Right. And it, Ray, it's not because of who I married. It was me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I saw a selfish side of me I didn't like that I wanted to run from. I saw arrogance. I saw my own stuff. And so uh, it, it was an eye opener, not only to see who I was married to, but to see me as a person being married and realizing I and, and but what that did. Here's what was fun, because subtitle sacred marriage is this. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Sure. And, and he, here's the glorious part out of the difficulty I mentioned. When something's difficult, it's helping you become a different person. It's sort of like working out is never easy. Why do you do it? Well, I want to be stronger. I want to be faster. I want to be fitter. I want to be leaner, whatever it is. Why do you put up with marriage? Learning to listen, learning to ask for forgiveness, learning to forgive, learning to let somebody else's needs go above your own. Well, because you can be more like Christ. You can become a better person. You become the kind of person you probably want to be. And and that's the whole point of sacred marriage is that God uses the challenges and difficulties of marriage to shape us into better people. Right. I thought it was really interesting that you said in your book that most of Christianity, maybe at the time, I mean, even still now, it's like you want to pursue being a godly person in spite of being married instead of using your marriage as a, as, as a, uh, as a vehicle and as a platform of showing this God given, uh, opportunity sh- to show love, to show affection, to show forgiveness to this other person, to show honor. What do you think about that? Well, it's true. When I was writing it, you know, a lot of people are starting to get into what they call spiritual formation books. Okay. And that's, how you grow in the faith, how you grow in your character. And a lot of them were written along the lines of how do you act like a monk or a nun? Sure. You go away for these long retreats. You have times of solitude. You have times of silence, none of which fits a married lifestyle. If when we had three young kids, if I were to go to my wife, yeah, I need to get closer to God. So I'm going to leave you a home alone all weekend with the kids while I go off and pray and walk. And I mean, that would not go over real well. Right. And then realizing that getting in an SUV and driving three or four states away with your spouse and kids 
that's going to test your character, your patience, your your ability to handle your your anger, your uh, everything right. as much as any solitary retreat would. So it was saying, look, we don't have to become monks and nuns to become holy. The very process of being married and having kids is more than enough for God to shape us and refine us. Yeah, so good. Yeah, this makes me think about uh two young marriages. I'll say I knew a young man who was married on the day I found out I was having my daughter. And before my daughter was born, so less than 9 months later that marriage was dissolved. I know a young woman who moved in with her with her young boyfriend and they got married shortly after, but they were split up before the lease even ended, a 12-month lease. So, I'm trying to see where is this disconnect between what you're saying marriage should be in your book and and what the Bible points to um, what marriage could be between maybe what my generation, a younger generation is doing. Uh, I, I kind of jokingly call it a, an Amazon marriage. You know, you get the yeah. the free trial. Yeah. If you don't like it, just put it back into yeah. a package and, and, yeah. and send it back. I, I call it shell shock newlyweds. And, and this is where I think a lot of it comes down to expectations. Well, I remember the first time I rented a car in Houston, I now live in Houston, but the first time I rented a car in Houston, I saw something you don't normally see in an airport. I saw a bunch of really nice pickup trucks. Okay. And, and usually at the airport rental place, you see sedans, you might see SUVs. You don't usually see pickup trucks. I thought, well, maybe that's just a Texas thing, right? Well, I'd rented a midsize and I went up and the woman saw I'd rented a midsize. You know, did you see those great trucks outside? I said, I did. They look really nice. She goes, $12 a day, I can upgrade you to one of those trucks. I thought, you know, a a church is reimbursing me. I don't want to charge you more just for that. And I also know sometimes they upgrade you for free if you say no, because they're out of your car class. So I said, that's fine. I'll just take the midsize. And she goes, all right. Well, didn't work this time, but. I gave it a shot. But then when she handed me my keys, said your vehicles in space G4, I go out there. In fact, she had upgraded me into one of those trucks. <laughs> and and Ray, th- this is how shallow I am. Okay. That made my day right there, right? <laughs> I, I hadn't sold a book, hadn't talked to anybody, but I'm going to get to drive around Houston in this nice truck. It's not like I needed a truck. I had a small overnight bag. But if I needed to throw a deer carcass in there just or in pull case. out a tree stump or something, you I'm, never know. I, I, I'm good. I'm, I'm just thrilled. Now, let's say I had rented a truck. I wouldn't have thought to, but just for the sake of argument, I see a truck in G4. I'm not going to be immediately satisfied. I'm going to open it up. Has anybody smoked in here? Does it have satellite radio? How many miles? Or let's say I was really into cars. I'm not, but I wanted to drive a luxury vehicle. Now I see a truck. I might even be offended. I go back, what's up with this truck? Do I look like a truck guy? I mean, the exact same vehicle elicits three entirely different reactions. Wow. Based solely on what? Expectations. expectations. Yeah. I wasn't expecting a truck. I was expecting a truck. So I'm suspicious. I wanted something better than a truck. And I think young people going into marriage, they have these expectations. This is what I'm supposed to get. Yeah. And, and they go into marriage expecting a Mercedes Benz and they wake up with a Geo Prism, right? Now, <laughs> if you've been walking for two years, the Geo Prism will feel like a gift from God because you're not walking in the heat. You're not walking in the rain. If, if you want to go zero to 60 right. in less than 20 seconds, you're going to be frustrated because I, I know I used to drive one. So I, I think 
the expectation we have for marriage to make us happy, that you're going to complete me, that you're going to do all of that. Then when we get into a real marriage and we see it doesn't work, what you said, we want out of it immediately. And I think it's our selfishness and our expectations. In the words of uh, a senior pastor down here in Texas who uses South Talk, he said, when you've got two selfish people to get married, you've got two ticks and no dog. Right. And and it doesn't work. And I think what you experience with your friends is is evidence of that. Uh, they recognize what James 3, 2 said is true, that we all stumble in many ways. They're infatuated. And they don't see that because when you're infatuated, you think the person can't do any wrong. But infatuation only lasts about 12 to 18 months. Then you have a real relationship. Yeah. And that's when people can't wait to get out of there. Sure. You know, I was, I think maybe I call it lucky, um, that the beginning of my marriage didn't start off with a uh, honeymoon. Uh, we just didn't have that honeymoon portion of it. I don't know why. Um, in fact, my wife left me after four months of being married. Uh, I said this before on the podcast, she just could not handle my junk with her junk and it just was too much for her. Luckily we, we worked it out and all of that has been, it was in the past. It's just part of our story. But I'm thinking maybe if I walked in and this was, it was this uh, honeymoon stage and we kind of like were lulled into this idea of like, we're going to live a happy life. And then hard stuff actually started to come out. Things actually started to like show their face. I think I would have had a much harder time in staying by because I'm like, can we just go back to the beginning, how the beginning was? Um, so I'd want to hear from you. It, you know, if you could fill in the blank here, um, your marriage will thrive if you just, this is going to sound terrible. It's going to sound very religious coming from a pastor, Sure, but I'm going to say it. your marriage will thrive. If you learn to turn your marriage into an act of worship, let me explain why I say that. If it's true, as I believe it is that we all stumble in many ways, every guy's marrying a woman, the Bible promises him. She's going to stumble in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. She's going to be creative in finding ways to sell. So if your <laughs> love for her is based on what she does, it's going to be spotty at best because every woman will have times when she doesn't seem that lovable. But when I love my wife out of reverence for God, because I recognize my wife as God's daughter, when we're Christians, God adopts us. He calls us his children. That means my wife is his daughter. God always deserves to be reverenced which means I've always got to love his daughter. And so now I have a motivation bigger than my sin. I love my wife because I worship my God. Sometimes it's easy to love her. Sometimes I feel spoiled that I get to be married to her. On those rare occasions when I feel like it's a challenge because we all stumble in many ways, then it's like, you know what, Gary, think of what you owe your heavenly father, who actually is kind of your heavenly father-in-law when you think about it. You owe him your very life. You owe him your faith. You owe him your, your eternal hope. You think of all that he's forgiven you and you can't forgive your wife for this one thing. Now, suddenly it's like, oh, okay. It, it, it's almost like this, Ray, to put it in different terms. If there was a billionaire he says, I'm going to give you a billion dollars, but I need to, you to deliver my newspaper once a month. I would fly in and deliver that newspaper, right? I don't care how difficult it is because 
what he was giving me is so out of proportion to what he's asking of me. If we understand what God gives us, life itself, and then in Christ, eternal life. And in return, he says, I want you to love my daughter. She's my little girl. I love her. I adore her. What happens to her matters to me. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, I, I can do that. God, you've given me so much. Loving one person. Yeah, I think I can do that. And so it it gives me an entirely new motivation, almost absent my wife in the sense of whatever she does, it helps me be committed to her because the first way I look at her is God's daughter. I can tell you, I did not do that very often in the beginning of our marriage. Well, I didn't either. Yeah. And I guess, you know, that's our, our sanctification. We're growing and growing and learning. But I think as I look back, a lot of the successes that my, me and my, my wife have had is because we've stopped and we've been able to say, you know what? You have a relationship with God. I have a relationship with God. When those two things are, are good, we see a trend here. And it's usually that we're actually doing really good. So my wife yes. will, will notice we're bickering a little bit more. She'll look back. She's like, have you been spending time with the Lord? And I'm like, I don't want to answer that question right now because I don't, <laughs> I haven't had time. <laughs> you know? yeah. But um, I do see that correlation and I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that as I draw near to the Lord, I actually am filled with the capacity, with the ability to look inwardly at myself and then to express outwardly his love. Um, onto her. And I, I appreciate that. And like you said, it definitely is not the easiest thing to do. Um, practically speaking, let's say you were talking to a, a man and a woman who are struggling in their marriage. What two practical things would you have them practice right now um, that would help them in that struggling marriage? One, I, I mean, it's what I said. I want him to have that picture. You're loving God's son or God's daughter. Yeah. So don't base your love on the worthiness of your spouse. Base your love on the worthiness of your God so you can keep loving. A second key point for me was learning what my greatest need was. When I got married at 22, which was way too young probably, but I, I thought my greatest need was to be loved because that's what movies told me. It's about finding your soulmate. It's what songs sing about. When I look in scripture, I think it's 180 degrees opposite. I think God would say my greatest need is to learn how to love. It's an entirely different thing. And when you look at some scriptures, I, I, I want to throw some out to, to back that up. In Colossians 3.14, Paul says, above all, clothe yourselves with love. He's listed a lot of things that Christians are supposed to do. And then he puts it at the very top. You know what? If we're going to summarize it, you should clothe yourself with love. And then first Peter four, eight, he uses about the same language. He says, above all, maintain constant love for one another. Right. Now, right. Here's why I find this fascinating. Paul and Peter are so different. Yeah. In temperament, in training and background, most of your listeners will know this. Paul was a scholastic rabbi raised in refined circumstances. Peter's the tempestuous fisherman, blue collar all the way. And often when you listen to a preacher or teacher, they they tend to teach out of their own experience. And so it's it's shocking that two people from such different backgrounds, different trainings, different temperaments, come up with the same conclusion that if you were to summarize Christianity, it's about learning how to love. You say, where do they get that? Well, they get it from Jesus himself in the last supper. Jesus changes everything. In John 13, when he says this, 
a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if, if, if you have love for one another. Jesus is saying, here's my plan to reach the world. I'm going to raise a class of people that so excel at demonstrating love. People are going to look at them. Their jaws are going to drop open. Why do you guys love each other the way you do? So that for the guys listening, Jesus would say, if we apply this to marriage, somebody should be able to look at the way we love our wives, the way we talk about her, the way we treat her, the way we talk to her. And they should come to that recognition. You know what? I bet he's one of those believers because every time I see a man that treats his wife this way, he's always one of those Jesus followers. Now, I don't think most people think that and, and they have to ask why, because we don't treat him that way. And, and here's the thing. This is why I think our greatest need isn't to be loved. I think our greatest need is to learn how to love. There isn't a single Bible verse that says you will be fulfilled when you find a romantic partner that loves you like you want to be loved. There are dozens of verses, and I've just read three that talk about the need to grow in love. And so when I realized Jesus says my greatest need is to learn how to love, I've got to use marriage to get better at loving. It's 180 degrees different looking at marriage than the way I did. And, and so it kind of going back to borrow an analogy, we use it to start. Have you ever gone to the health clubs and you see those people driving circles around the parking lot? Yeah. Looking for a close place to park. Right. Before they go into exercise. Yeah. Right? And you're thinking, maybe so you've good. missed the picture, <laughs> but yet, but they go in, right? And they get on these treadmills or they're lifting weights. They're making themselves hurt. They're making themselves sweat. They're making themselves feel pain. And you might ask them why. And they're saying, because I can get fitter, faster, stronger. And the same thing about marriage. Why do I want to learn how to forgive and put my wife's needs above my own then have kids and all the sacrifice involved there? Because my greatest need is to learn how to love. And it might be painful. Right. But Jesus said, that's how he's going to reach the world. And, and that's what I need. And so... As soon as I believe that that's my greatest need, you know this, right? There isn't a day of marriage and especially a day of marriage and parenting when you don't have an opportunity to learn how to love. So true. I mean, it drives us like nothing else. And if we don't have that bigger picture in mind, then when it's difficult and painful, we give up. When we do have that picture, I'm loving my spouse out of reverence for God. He's my heavenly father-in-law. My greatest need is to learn how to love. This isn't easy. It isn't fun. But man, my spiritual roots are going deep. Suddenly, everything about marriage changes. So we get those big picture things in mind. Then I think we can find figure out the little things about how do we stay together? How do we support each other? Gentlemen, as I was editing this podcast, I realized that there's so much goodness here that this cannot be consumed in one sitting. And so I decided to split this up into two portions and to go ahead and give you enough time to be able to reflect on what you just heard. And I do encourage you to do that. Whether you are married, about to be married, or think you want to be married one day, this applies to you. I encourage you to just seek out the Lord in some of the things that you heard today and make sure that you don't stop until you hear something because God has something for you here. 
Guys, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to be able to listen to this, to be encouraged by it, and to share it. Thank you for those of you that are sharing this podcast, that are telling other people about it, because I'm seeing the impact of that and I'm seeing the growth. Now, guys, make sure that you do subscribe to the podcast so that you receive other ones just like this one. You'll receive the notifications for when I post new ones. And also head over to our website, madeterrain.org. Again, that's madeterrain.org. There you'll be able to find our podcasts, our resources, and our videos on YouTube that, guys, are going to help you on your walk with Jesus. They're going to help you in parenting, in singleness. They're going to help you in marriage life. They're going to help you on your walk with the Lord. Also, if you haven't done so already, find us on Instagram. Our handle is at Made to Rain, just like the name of this podcast. I'd love to engage with you guys there. Make sure that you tune in to the second part of this episode. Until next time, continue to march. Mm-hmm.